Father in heaven, we give you honor and glory this morning. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, that your Spirit has been loosed on this world to dwell in the hearts of believers, to empower and to equip. We pray, Father, this morning that as we engage your word, that you would teach us, that you would show us um, just the ways that your gospel transforms our entire world, transforms our being, and deeply influences what you have called and sent us to do. And so we give you praise and honor and glory today, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. We're going to dismiss our kids this morning to their classrooms. Welcome to Covenant Church today. My name's Weston Brown. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Um, as I get started, uh, just a, a real quick commercial for something that's coming up next weekend uh, that we would love for as many of you as possible to be a part of, and that is we're doing a day of training uh, with a guy named Alan Hirsch. Alan Hirsch is a uh, missiologist, which is just a nerdy way of saying he's a theologian that studies mission. And he has literally written the book on this in, in kind of the modern world. And particularly what we see as the like American cultural crisis as it relates to Christianity and the church. And um, he's going to be here in Shreveport. Next Saturday, February 17th, uh, he is going to be teaching from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at uh, the Covenant City Center, which is our space in downtown Shreveport, 305 Market Street. And we would love for you to be there to be a part of it, uh, to be part of kind of sitting under some of his teaching. He's going to be talking about uh, just the ways that our culture in the West has changed over the last 10, 20, 50 years and the ways that the church has not adapted to the cultural change, and in many ways, uh, the way that the church is ill-equipped um, to respond to much of the cultural change that we are experiencing. So I, I think you'll find it really enlightening. Uh, Lord knows he has greatly influenced uh, the way that I see the church in the West and here in America in particular, and the way that I think that we as a church should be doing ministry and mission in our world. And I think it would be uh, really influential and meaningful for you as well to be there. And so uh, throw up a website real quick, hirsch.eventbrite.com. Uh, we will eat lunch that day, and so uh, we need you to buy a ticket if you're going to come. It's just $15. Uh, that also helps cover a little bit of the cost to bring him here. He's also Australian, so he has a really cool accent, uh, which, you know, whatever. But anyway, I hope you guys can be there. Uh, we would love to have you. Uh, let's dig in this morning. We are in the book of Acts, and if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we started this series last week, and we're continuing today. And I just want to quickly recap what has happened thus far in the book of Acts. Uh, when we started chapter 1, we saw that Jesus had risen from the dead, and that he had been appearing to people over a period of several weeks. And, and Luke, who is the author of the book of Acts, who is also the author of of the Gospel of Luke, Luke makes two things really clear to us in chapter 1, verse 3. First of all, he makes clear to us that Jesus had offered many proofs that he was indeed the risen 
Christ, that he was indeed the risen Messiah. So Jesus is crucified, he dies, he's buried, he rises from the dead, and over a period of 40 days, he's kind of popping in and out and appearing to his followers and and other people. And what Luke tells us is that in doing that, he's also proving himself. Now, now Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't need to prove himself, and, and yet he does. Um, Luke also tells us, too, he continued to speak about the kingdom of God. So he's proving himself, and he's continuing to speak about the kingdom of God. And, and the kingdom of God had been Jesus's primary message throughout his entire ministry. Everything revolved around the kingdom of God for Jesus. The fact that the kingdom of God was coming near. And so he says this on multiple occasions. He sends out his disciples to proclaim that in various towns and villages. He also teaches them to pray, God, let your kingdom come. Come on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is continuing what he has started. And, and you know, Thomas is one of the apostles who kind of gets the, the rap most of the time for being the doubter, but he was not alone. Because th- this wasn't normal, I hope we all realize, that somebody would die and come back to life. And so what scripture tells us is that many people were scared, were confused, even right before he ascends in the Gospel of Matthew, right, right where he gives the Great Commission. It tells us there that there were several people watching this who were going, what is going on? Who is this? What is happening? And yet Jesus had been really, really clear on how things were going to go. Like, no one should have been surprised by any of this. Uh, Earlier in Luke's gospel, which, by the way, um, the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts really should be read together. They are meant to be compendiums to each other. um, And and it's really a, a helpful exercise for you to read the gospel of Luke and then immediately go into the book of Acts. Both written by the same guy. Uh, A lot of the same references are made in both books. And so you can start to link certain things in the book of Acts to the gospel of Luke. Um, But here's what Jesus had said early on in Luke chapter 9 verse 22. He tells them very clearly, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. That's exactly what happened. It fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And yet people are going, what is going on? Because it was supernatural. It wasn't normal. Jesus continues to preach on the kingdom of God. He continues to focus on this good news message that the kingdom is coming near in and through him and his death and his resurrection. Um, Jesus also makes a command to his disciples at this point. He tells them to remain in Jerusalem and to wait, to wait on the promise for power from on high. And early in Luke's gospel, he quotes John the Baptist You know, John the Baptist had this incredible teaching ministry. He was going throughout the countryside, and and he was baptizing people. That's how he got that name. He was baptizing people, and and people started to go, hey, this guy's the Messiah. 
And John the Baptist says, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. There is one coming after me. And I'm not even worthy to like untie his sandals. And, and I'm just baptizing people with water. But there is one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what John says. You may recall John the Baptist also baptized Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, and the scriptures tell us that the Spirit of God descended like a dove and rested on Jesus. And so this is like foreshadowing at its finest because what happens shortly after Jesus tells them to wait and remain in Jerusalem, to wait for this power, this promise from the Father, What happens shortly after is this event that catalyzes and empowers and emboldens the church to be sent in the same way that Jesus was sent. And it is from this event that we will be exploring today. It's from this event that flows the rest of the story of Acts and in reality the birth of the entire Jesus movement. And so two other things happen in chapter 1 before we get to chapter 2. The first is that Jesus ascends. And, and, and I was reminding our community in Shreveport the other night, like sometimes we engage the Bible as a story, as a narrative, and we forget that this is like a real thing. We forget that this is like a real event that happened, that Jesus was speaking to them, and then he literally elevated into the clouds and disappeared into the clouds. And, and the picture that scripture paints is that they were just kind of left doing this. What do you do after that, right? After everything that you've seen, after all of like the who is this and what is this and what's going on, and then you watch, you watch Jesus rise into the clouds, and then you're left standing there. Like I, I, I think we just have to remember that this is something that actually happened, that this isn't a metaphor, this isn't a story, this is a a real human historical event. How would you have responded in that moment? Like, how difficult must it have been for them at that moment to then just wait? Like, I have to think if there was ever a point in the Gospels where the disciples were going, like, let's do this thing, like, it was that moment, Jesus has charged them, and then he's like, (laughs) flown away. And yet they wait. And what they do while they're waiting is really interesting as well. They elect somebody to replace Judas Iscariot, who was the disciple that betrayed Jesus. And they believed that they were fulfilling prophecy in this that they would nominate somebody to take Judas's place. And, and I would encourage you to, to maybe just take, a, take some time during your own study time, read that section of chapter 1 where they replace Judas because it's, it's really interesting because they so believed in God's sovereignty and God's providence and God's ability to orchestrate events that they have two great candidates for this role and then they basically flip a coin It says they cast lots, and the lot landed on this guy named Matthias, and and they took that to mean this is God's man. This is the one God has chosen, 
and that God has orchestrated this event. I, I, I've been in church ministry over 15 years. I've been in a lot of different churches. I've never seen like a pastoral search where they go, hey, we got two really great guys. Does anybody have a quarter? You know? And yet that's what the apostles do. It's really fascinating. So that brings us up to Acts chapter 2. And let's begin reading in verse 1 this morning. Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this passage, and then we're also going to move on and look at what happens immediately after this, which is that Peter stands up in the midst of this whole scene and begins to declare the gospel to thousands of people. And so so the followers of Jesus, as we said, are being obedient to wait in Jerusalem, and then suddenly everything kicks into gear. Like, this is the moment. This is the culmination of everything that Scripture has been pointing towards. And, And so just think about it. Over a period of less than two months, Jesus has been arrested, beaten, crucified, killed, buried, He has risen from the dead. He has appeared to many people, proving himself. He has charged the disciples or the apostles with the task to go make more disciples of all nations. He has ascended into heaven, and now the Holy Spirit of God has fallen on these people, these followers of Jesus, in a span of like, you know, less than eight weeks. Everything has initiated. Everything has come to a head. And things have never been the same. We are sitting here today because of this event. Things have never been the same. So Jerusalem is slammed with people who are in town from all over the Roman Empire. Uh, This is the Feast of Pentecost. This was like a harvest festival that took place 50 days after the Passover. And, And this is when the Spirit of God comes. It says, the Spirit of God fell like divided 
tongues of fire resting on the people. And again, this language is very similar to the language that Luke, uh, the language that was used in describing Jesus's baptism. With Jesus's baptism, it said that the Spirit descended like a dove. Not, it wasn't a dove, and it wasn't fire. It was like those things, and they didn't enter them. It says it sat on them, or it rested. On them, And the Holy Spirit falls and rests on the believers and immediately they are empowered to do things that they never could do before. And, and so two things that I want us to see this morning from this text. First of all, Luke is not attempting to, nor does he give us here a full like doctrinal analysis of this thing called speaking in tongues. He doesn't do it. Instead, Luke is more of a historian. Luke is giving us this kind of chronological account of what's happening here, right? He's saying, then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And and so, ultimately, the Holy Spirit fell. But here's what he is abundantly clear on. He is clear on exactly what this was that he was describing. The disciples received the Holy Spirit, and they begin declaring the mighty works of God in other human languages that were not their native language. The word tongue there means language. That's kind of an older English way of saying language. You talk about someone's mother tongue, or these are people of of other tongues. We're talking about human languages here. And so it's important that Luke goes into such great detail on the people who were present. A big bulk of this text that we read is all about who was there, who was in attendance, where were they from. He tells us about all of these different places. People from all over the empire, all over kind of the known world. People of different languages, and yet they were all hearing about the mighty works of God in their own tongue. And remember what the purpose, what Luke told us, what the purpose of the power of the Spirit was. It was to empower the people to be Jesus's witnesses throughout the whole world. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's why you have to wait on the power of the Spirit. Because without the Spirit's power, you will be ineffective as my witnesses throughout the world to declare the glories of God. So this is not, clearly, it's not just gibberish. Because these people are understood. It is not also simply for the personal, spiritual edification of the followers of Jesus. It wasn't just for them. No, the Spirit is empowering them for the mission that Jesus has sent them on. So that's the first thing I want to say about it. Secondly, I feel like it's impossible to read this account and not immediately think of Genesis chapter 11. And that may not be you, but, but I read this, and I immediately think of the, the text that Kate read earlier, the, the Tower of Babel account that we find in Genesis chapter 11. The story of Babel is the story of a people that were pridefully sinful. They were arrogant. They said, we want to be like God. We want to make a name for ourselves. And so they begin building this big tower. Um, They were arrogant. and, And so God confuses their languages and disperses them throughout the earth. 
But now that God is kicking into gear this grand plan of restoration initiated in Christ, now that this is beginning, it's not the power of the apostles. No, it's the power of the Holy Spirit to begin restoring language and to begin bringing unity and understanding around language where there wasn't before. I think that's amazing. And so he empowered this early group of believers, just like he empowered the prophets, just like he empowered Moses. He's empowering the church to be agents of reconciliation. That's, that's the language that Paul uses, to be agents of reconciliation. And immediately in this moment, God's power begins recogni- reconciling the divisions that come even in something like language. Even in this moment, the mighty works of God are being declared and perceived and understood by everyone. And Luke tells us that those who were witnessing this whole scene were amazed and perplexed and astonished and bewildered. What is happening? What is going on? So let's read on. In the midst of this scene, Peter stands up and he begins speaking. And Peter stands up with the other 11 apostles and he lifted his voice and he addressed this great crowd of people, which we don't, we don't know exactly where this was, but a lot of people speculate that wherever they were when the Spirit of God fell, it had to have been near the temple courts because more than likely that was the only place where thousands upon thousands of people could gather together and like be addressed by somebody at one point in time. And so Peter, standing with the 11, lifts his voice and he addressed them. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which would have been like 9 a.m. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're reading Luke Acts, if you're reading Luke's gospel and this book that he has written called the Acts of the Apostles, if you're reading them together, then one of the things that happens right at the end of Luke's gospel is this, Luke 24, 44 through 47. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Here he is again telling them exactly what's going to happen. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So Peter here... Peter here stands up in the midst of this sea of people and he begins flexing this God-given ability to understand the scriptures. This God-given ability to go back to the prophet Joel, which when's the last time you guys read Joel, right? To go back to Joel and to pull this out and go, this is about Jesus, right? Peter is a fisherman, He's not an educated dude. He's not a Pharisee, right? He's not a scribe. He's not somebody that would ever like rise to like a high priestly level within the temple. He's a common everyday laborer. And he stands up and begins prophesying, begins declaring, this is what the word of the Lord says and here's what it means. And he's saying that when Joel prophesied about young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams, he was talking about this age in which we now live. And ultimately what he's saying is, we have now entered into what the Bible calls the last days. We've now entered into this new era of humanity. When the Spirit of God has come and empowered believers, and he's making this connection because everyone listening to him is a Jew, right? Everyone listening to him is a Jew. And so he begins talking about the prophet Joel, and unlike us, these people perk up because they recognize what he's talking about. They recognize what he's saying. And when he says, when Joel said this, the moment that you're experiencing right now is what he was talking about, that's an incredible claim. Like, that's a bold claim that he's making in front of these people. But this wasn't some unfamiliar or obscure passage to them. Peter is just connecting the dots. This guy, Joel, that you all believe was a prophet of the one true God, well, he was describing the power and the moment that you are a part of right now. And so what's happening here is not like an isolated case of day drinking gone wrong. Now this is God's power. This is God's spirit for the purpose of mission. And he's saying you are witnessing the fulfillment of this. And with that, He has their attention. He's got them. And he says, men of Israel, verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, here he goes again, for David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me 
For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter here is presenting the gospel to thousands of people, thousands of Jews that are assembled. And I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to consider what he is saying here and the way that he is talking about the gospel. You, you've maybe never read that whole section before, or even maybe here in this moment as we were reading through it, you were going, what, what, is, what is he talking about? What does this mean? He's talking about David and the Lord said to my Lord, which Lord is my Lord? And what, what is he talking about? There's a uh, theologian and New Testament scholar named Scott McKnight, who's a really smart dude, and he makes the claim um, that many of us, describe the gospel, and we talk about the gospel a lot around here, but that many of us describe the gospel in a way that would have been unrecognizable to the apostles. That many of us talk about the gospel, and, and I think gos- the, the word gospel and the popularity of the word gospel has seen a resurgence in the last 10, 20 years. That's a, an amazing thing. But maybe he suggests, maybe we talk about it in a way that is a little different than the way that the apostles talked about the gospel. And and, and so here's kind of the case that he makes. You know, when a lot of American Christians, and and which, by the way, how many of you guys in in a church at some point in time have ever been in like an evangelism training course? How many of you have ever sat in a class that was meant to like teach you how to tell other people about the gospel? Right, yeah. A, a lot of people have grown up in church. You've been in Alpha or Evangelism Explosion or some of these other things that are out there. And, and most people I know ha- have, have come out of those classes like even more petrified to tell people about the gospel because they're so worried that they're going to get something wrong. Right? There are so many like, things I've got to hit when I'm telling somebody about the gospel that I don't even want to because I, if I leave something out, I don't want to mess up 
this exchange. And, and so what Scott McKnight says is, is for many American Christians, here's kind of the things, kind of the points we feel like we have to hit when we're presenting the gospel. We have to, uh, God loves us. Uh, God has a perfect plan for our lives. Uh, we were sinners by birth. We didn't decide to become sinners. That was just in, ingrained within us. Uh, we need to awaken to our sin. We need to repent, like we need to change. Uh, Jesus came to earth. He was sent by God. This is kind of the John 3.16 point. He was sent uh, to die for our sins so that we might be forgiven. Uh, and if we will accept this by faith, then we can be saved and we can be justified or made right before God. And when we die, we can go to heaven. Like, like that may not be everything that's on your list, but for many American Christians, that's a pretty good summation of maybe the way that you were taught about the gospel or the way that you were taught to tell other people about the gospel. And, and now all of those things are true. So, so don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying any of that thing's wrong or incorrect. Here's what I'm saying. When Peter presents the gospel in what we just read, he didn't touch on 90% of what I just mentioned. Right? He never says, guys, I just want you to know God loves you so much. He doesn't say, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. I mean, but he, but he does, kind of. Notice what's happening here. Um, Peter is telling, very simply, the story of Jesus. He's very simply telling the story of Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have a Bible, turn over there real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel to the church in Corinth. And, and this is him explaining what the gospel is. And he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast... To the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, this is, this is the good news of Jesus that is saving you. And we have to hold fast to this good news. And so, so here it is, verse 3. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, meaning the most significant thing, the primary thing. It's also what I received. And it's this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, meaning he fulfilled prophecy. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12 and then to other people. Paul says, this is the gospel that I preach to you. This is what is saving you. This is what you have to hold fast and hold firm to. There are going to be other people that come along and say, no, 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 that's not true. This is true. Or, or not in that way, but in this way. And Paul says, this is the good news. And notice what he did. He just told the story of Jesus. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended. Jesus is Lord. Like this is the gospel message of the apostles. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah, which means he is the fulfillment. Jews, he's the fulfillment of all of this prophecy 
of all of this looking forward, of all of this one day down the road. He is the new David. He is the new Adam. He is the one who will set all things right. And here's how we know. Because he was born, and he died, and he rose. This is, for guys like Peter and Paul, this is like earth-shattering. And yet for many of us who have grown up in the church today, we go, well, yeah. It is unremarkable and not revolutionary. And my guess is probably for many of you, there wasn't some point in your life where you just heard, you know, Jesus came and died and rose, and then everything was different for you. I don't know. Maybe that is your story. Second Timothy 2.8 says this. Again, Paul, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus. Remember that he died. Remember that he rose from the dead. Remember that he was the offspring of David, meaning remember that he fulfilled prophecy. This is a key point for the apostles as they're teaching the Jews especially. Remember that this is everything that we have been hoping for. This is everything. This is the good news, guys. This is why it's good news. Everything is now here. The kingdom of God coming near. And this is what Peter was talking about. Like if you outlined Peter's message, here's what it would be. Uh, Jesus came and did many signs among you um, in accordance with God's predetermined plan. He was crucified and killed. That wasn't something that, that wasn't an accident. That was exactly what God intended. Uh, God raised him up in the same way that David prophesied that he would be raised. And we are witnesses now to the risen Jesus. And he is Lord and Messiah. And you can go on and on because Peter does this again in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 as he is in front of other people, as, he, as he's in front of the religious leaders. This is the gospel he proclaims. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died and rose from the dead, and that proves that he is the Messiah. That proves that he is the king. It was simple. It was not complicated. It was easy to understand. And when they would share this message, things would happen that didn't make sense. Look uh, back in Acts 2, verse 37. Now when they, the people, heard this, heard this simple message, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, be changed, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And here, verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Based on this message, 3,000 souls. So, so here's hopefully something that you immediately take away from that. 
3,000 souls were not added to the number of believers that day simply because Peter was an incredible preacher. It didn't happen because he was a great orator or that his argument was so compelling. Peter stands up in front of thousands and says, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And 3,000 people placed their faith in Jesus Christ. There were no lights, right? There weren't smoke machines. There's no band, right? There wasn't this long altar call where I still, I still think someone in here needs to make a decision. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And you either believe that or you don't. Your faith is either in that or it isn't. That's either the greatest news ever for you or it isn't. And so let me ask you this, believers. When is the last time that you shared the simple story of Jesus with somebody? Do you think that that's just so commonplace that we don't even have to tell anybody? When's the last time that you told someone about how Jesus came to earth? How he died? How he rose from the dead? Literally, physically, how he proved himself to be true, how he ascended. When's the last time that you told somebody, Jesus is Lord? Meaning Jesus is everything. Creation exists because of Jesus. Salvation exists because of Jesus. Eternity with God exists because of Jesus. When's the last time that you actually told somebody that. You know, as a kid, and I grew up in church, I always heard about witnessing. And my understanding was that it was about kind of like regurgitating this prescripted thing. Um, and that's not what's happening really with Peter and the apostles. Because these guys have literally witnessed the power of Jesus at work. So, so when we talk about witnessing, hopefully this makes sense. When we talk about witnessing, if you have not witnessed something yourself, then what do you have to talk about? Right? Because, because ultimately that means you're telling someone else about an experience that you've had. And that's certainly what the apostles were doing. Right? They're saying, here's what we just experienced. Guys, the last two months, you won't even believe. <laughs> the craziest two months of my life. And so for you, believers, when's the last time that you shared with someone else about your experience of Jesus? 
These guys had witnessed the power of Jesus at work. But that wasn't all that was propelling them. They have now also been filled with the power of the Spirit. And listen, something supernatural happens when a Spirit-filled person shares their story of Jesus. I think that is abundantly clear. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to hit all of the right points. But when the Spirit of God dwelling within you does his work, man, amazing things happen. I I don't know about you, but that brings me a lot of relief. Like that should be a stress reducer for you guys, that ultimately this is all his work. This is all his work. The power of the gospel is not found in you saying all the right things. And I've met many people, like I said, who've been in those classes and then left going, man, I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to do that. And especially if I've got to like cold call people, I'm going to go knock on their door and go, hey, do you know Jesus? That sounds, that sounds really scary. But it's even more scary if you have no experience of Jesus to talk about. And you've just got the script. Because if that's true, then there's no excitement or enthusiasm. There's no transformative change that has occurred in your life that would put you in a position of going, just try to stop me from telling people about this. But if I'm being real honest, I think there's another reason why many churchgoers don't regularly or intentionally share the gospel or share the story of Jesus with other people. And it's because they haven't had a life-altering encounter with the risen Savior or they haven't trusted them with their whole life. They haven't given him everything. You look at the apostles. The apostles had given Jesus everything. Their whole being, their whole world revolved around Jesus and Jesus's mission. And, and this, guys, is what Jesus has called us all to, not just pastors, not just missionaries. Jesus has said things like, you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. He said things like, your love of me should look almost like hatred for your wife and your kids and your brothers and sisters to the rest of the world because your love for me is so strong and because I'm first. No one else is first. Like, this is what Jesus describes. And I think there are many people who've grown up in this church culture, gone to church their whole lives, and they've been taught about this stuff, but when it comes to the real encounter with Jesus or, or a powerful experience of Jesus in your life, what, what is your story? Like Maybe this is your story. Maybe you grew up going to church. Um, you were taught the Bible stories as a child. You, you know a, a lot of those things. Maybe you were baptized as a kid or as a teenager. Um, you were taught what it meant to be a Christian was for you to love God and be a moral person and to read the Bible regularly and, and, and pray. And, and yet, maybe there have been some gaps where you haven't gone to church, mostly when you were in college. 
And, and, and yeah, maybe you've done some things that you aren't proud of. You, you've slept with some people you weren't married to, um, or maybe you've, you've gotten drunk on more than one occasion and acted stupid, or maybe you've watched pornography. You've done things that you know aren't things that God would approve of or love, uh, and, and the list probably goes on. But, but even so, you would say that you think Jesus is the Messiah, and um, maybe you've asked him to forgive you of those things. And, and so now you go to church pretty often and, and definitely more so now that you've had kids. Well, I just described countless people that I've known in over 15 years of ministry. Like people that have churchianity. But has Jesus actually transformed your life? Have you actually placed your faith in him where now everything rests on him? Your existence rests on him. Your confidence is not in you or your money or your career or your retirement account or any other person. It is in Jesus. For the apostles, that was the story. Everything is resting on Jesus. Everything is about faith in Jesus. And so there are a lot of nice people and good people out there who grew up in church, who know the stories. But yet nothing has ever really changed about my life. Because I've never actually given Jesus control of my life. And I can fake it with everybody. But in my heart... I don't really have anything to declare or talk about because nothing's ever changed. And so the things that I'm excited about, man, the things that I really worship, those things are clear. Like you just spend some time with me and, and you'll learn, man, I love fishing, right? Man, my, here's what's going on in my job right now. And like, or here, man, this new house that we're remodeling or you, blah, blah, blah. We declare the things that we worship. We make it clear to our friends and our family the things that are most important to us. When's the last time that you shared the simple truth that Jesus is Lord with another person? And if the answer is, I don't remember, then what needs to change? What we see in the lives of the apostles is that they had this great power that came from the Holy Spirit, and they were also people who had trusted everything to Jesus. As we said, they were witnesses to the transformational power of Christ um, that, that, that combined with the Holy Spirit power like produced this movement of Jesus. It birthed the church. And here's the thing, that same power is available to you. That same power is available today. Romans 8 Paul says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If it's not exciting to you that you were dead and now you are alive in Christ because of him, because of the power of his spirit, then wait. Wake up. Wake up. 
to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, that he gave everything for us, that his power is transformational, that God's desire is to pour out his spirit on your life and to empower you and equip you and send you out to be his disciples and to share and to demonstrate that our God reigns, that he is good, that he is powerful, that he has given even his only son for us so that we could be reconciled to him and be adopted into his family and not be condemned in our sin. If that doesn't excite you or inspire you, then why do you even show up here on a Sunday? Is there something more that you're looking for? I hope so. But this is it. The simple person and message of Jesus. It's not complicated. Yes, it's supernatural. Yes, it's weird. You see all these people standing around going, what is going on? Yes, feel that way. Embrace that. Live in that tension. If he is God, if he's the creator of all things, then you better believe that you're not going to understand everything about him. His ways are higher than our ways. He is, he's unexplainable. He's mysterious. He's not a man. He's not a white guy with a beard sitting on a cloud. And so if this stuff isn't pulling at you in some way, believer, unbeliever, wherever you're at, if this isn't inspiring or engaging or moving you forward in some way, then why do you show up? Is it a friendship thing? Is it you like the community? Is it that these people are kind of like me or they look like me or they're in the same life stage as me or they believe maybe we, I think the same things politically that I, I, what is it? Because the purpose is not that this would be a club. The purpose is that this would be a mission force going with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the message of the gospel. So where are you at this morning? Listen, Jesus Christ was sent by the Father as a man. He did incredible things. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. And yet he was killed. But that was God's plan all along. This is God's grand mission to reconcile and save the human race. Jesus didn't stay dead. He came back to life. Literally, he rose from the dead and he proved that he was the Messiah and then he ascended into heaven and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, the creator and author of all things. And he has sent the Spirit of God to empower you and to empower me as the church to go and to share that information with people to declare and demonstrate that he is good and that he reigns and that he loves us. And so here's my question to you today as I close. What do you do today with that information? What do you do today with that information? What is different for you today than it was yesterday or when you came in here? Not because of me or my words. It certainly wasn't because of Peter and his words. But what is the Spirit of God? What is the Spirit of God saying to you today. As we pray, Father, God, we give you praise and honor and glory today for your goodness, for your mercy, for the ways that you save us, the ways that you change us. And I pray 
that in Shreveport, Bossier, Louisiana, in this place where we can become so uh, calloused to your gospel, where we can uh, just uh, treat it like it's some common, everyday, ordinary thing, Father, um, God, wake us up through the power of your spirit. Wake us up to what this is and to what you've done and to the ways that our lives should change and be different as a result. Father, we should be increasingly giving more and more and more of ourselves to you, letting you be not just Lord of the universe, but Lord of our lives more and more. Inspire us and empower us this morning in your name. Amen. We're going to have a time of communion this morning, and and this is the whole point of communion, is because we wake up every day and we forget this stuff, right? We wake up every day and we think, man, I'm going to do what I want to do, and Jesus has given us communion so that we remember what he has done, and that we remember it's all about him. It's all about his power. It's all about his gospel. And so if you're a believer this morning, we invite you to come to this table and to share. And if you're not a believer this morning, I would love to just pray with you. I'd love to talk with you about where you're at and what's going on. Uh, I'm going to be in the back. Jason's up here in the front as well. Um, Please just just come and, and, and share a little bit about where you're at. And, um, and yeah, the band's going to play. Please come as you feel led.